0: listening to an audio sermon from Harvest Bible Chapel, Kelowna. For more information about our church, please visit harvestkelowna.ca. You can
1: turn in your Bibles to Acts chapter 7 as we continue on here. Part 2 in a series here on living for Christ, ready to die for Christ. And the ushers are coming forward, they have Bibles, if you don't have a Bible and would like one to follow along, or if you would like to take that Bible home with you after the service, you're more than welcome to do that. That is our gift to you, um, if you would like to take that with you. And, um, and so Acts chapter 7, we'll be looking at that in just a few moments. Um, when you look over the events of your life, I wonder how many of us would come up with this phrase. I didn't see that coming. Never saw that coming at all. When Charlotte Matico said, I do, at the altar of marriage to me, Meldon Lutzer, I'm sure at times when I said, I do, she has wondered many times, what did I do? And what, I mean, what kind of decision she made? And as we look over the 20 years plus that God has given us together, we would say, never saw that coming as we talk about certain details and life events and things that have happened. Each one of us, if you were to go back five years ago, where you were at in life, in, in, in health, in finances, in all the different things, and where you're at today, probably most of us would say, didn't see that coming. Life has a way of... of changing and things happening in our lives. This past week when I was driving to an appointment and all of a sudden I got a phone call from Clarice saying, Nate, Dad's nate has been injured at school. He cut his head wide open and he's bleeding like crazy. You gotta come. I never saw that coming that day. And I think Charlotte was kinda happy. She finally got her redhead. And uh, it didn't last too long. A few stitches later, he was fine. You know, but didn't see that happening. I had to cancel that coffee appointment. Wasn't in the plan for that day. I think even a year ago at this time, we were meeting at Doctor Knox School, and and we thought we would be there for many years, and we were just settling into week number, you know, what was it about week three or four there, holding church services there for the first time as we launched the church. We thought we were going to be there for a long time, and now we're famous players. Didn't see that coming, and all throughout our lives we can see many of these things. and And Proverbs sixteen verse nine speaks some some very important truth into it. It says, "The heart of." The heart of man plans his way, but the Lord establishes his steps. We can make all the plans that we want, but ultimately the Lord is the one that establishes our steps. And when a person says yes to following Jesus Christ and living a life of faith and dependence on him... As the months and years go by, this would be a phrase that you could get used to saying, didn't see, that didn't see that coming. We are very full aware, though, that even if we haven't seen it coming, God has seen it all coming, because everything is Father-filtered. God has watched, he knew all about, he knows our beginning, he knows our end. No surprises to him. So when Stephen, a devout, devout follower of Jesus, who we've been looking at uh, last week and going to look at again today, we, we saw him last week in Acts chapter 6, when, when he said yes to following Christ and then a little while later he said yes to, to serving widows who were being overlooked in the daily distribution of, of bread, he had no idea when he said that what he was signing up for. He had no idea what would happen. The job of, of waiting on tables for the widows was probably not a very, very glorious job, but he loved them. It was very, very clear that the church loved Stephen very much. I mean, the guy was talented. He was obviously a leader. That's why he was chosen. He it was a gifted, as we're going to see today, a very gifted theologian and teacher, even a preacher, as we're going to see. And yet he was willing to do the lowly work of waiting on tables. When he said yes to God, he had no idea that soon he would be thrown in front of the religious council and end up becoming the very first Christian martyr. Never saw that coming. His life, his ministry, maybe you could look at it and say, boy, that seemed to have been cut short. Whenever someone dies, it oftentimes, especially in their younger years, you say, boy, that was a life cut short. Yet his life, his death, had a profound effect on the apostles, the young church, and at least one of the individuals that was there witnessing his death. Last week, we took a look at the question, very important questions that I asked you to consider, and these are the questions, am I truly living for Christ? And the second one, would you be ready? Would I be ready to die for Christ? And when it comes to that second question, we can think and ponder and, 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 and even worry about that question and, and even wonder about, would I, would I, when you see what's happening in our world and you see what some of the Christians are facing, would I be willing to die for Christ? Would I, or would I renounce my faith in Jesus Christ? We can read these stories and we watch and we admire the faith, the bravery of those on the front lines who are suffering and even dying for Christ. And in countries like Syria and Iraq, especially right now, those are kind of the hot areas where, where things are taking place. And weekly, almost daily, you can read about the horrific stories, the things that are happening. Would I be able to stand before terrorists and confess Christ? Or do you think you could do that? Or do you think I'm not so Sure. Would I renounce my faith in Jesus Christ? What if my children were being threatened? Would I just say something for the threats to stop? You know, I don't want to spend a lot of time on those kind of questions. I don't necessarily believe those kind of questions are, are necessarily that healthy for us to spend a lot of time on. Because the more important question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I truly living for Christ today? Because if I'm truly living for Christ today... And he is at the center of our lives. He, his power, his presence is going to be there no matter what life throws at us. And he will prepare us. He will strengthen us. We will be ready for it with his grace, his power, his strength, there for us in our time of need. And so I'm not very sure if it's really healthy for us to, to spend a lot, of times, a lot of time discussing that because I think that can lead to a lot of unnecessary worry. Because even Jesus said, don't worry about tomorrow. Tomorrow has enough concerns about itself, about, about the day that, that's ahead. There'll be enough there that day. You Look at today. Where are you at today? Where is Christ in your life at? What kind of relationship, if you have a relationship with him today? God's special grace floods into the life of believers, of true believers, when the challenges Come our way. There is that peace that is there, that is available. And today it is my prayer as we go through chapter 7 here and we see and we can learn from the life of Stephen about how we, when we live for, live for Christ, we are then prepared at any moment to die for Christ. And from last week we see, and, and this is really important, we see that, that Stephen and living truly for Christ means that we are full of the Holy Spirit of wisdom, of faith, of grace, and of power. Full, all in, committed to Jesus Christ. On a daily basis, we are resurrendering, recommitting our lives to him. And we have to keep doing that. You can't go on yesterday's. I mean, how many of us are going on last Sunday morning's breakfast to carry us through, I mean, a week ago, you know, for your fuel for the day? None of us, most of us had some fuel for the day already, right? We, we need daily to, 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 to fuel our bodies physically in the same way we need to daily be fueling our bodies spiritually. And so, here we have Stephen, who is someone who was full, who was fueling himself daily in and through the power of the Holy Spirit by living in obedience To God's word and to the spirits working in his life. When when he was asked to serve, he's like, sure, I'll do it. I'm in. (laughs) Wait on widows? Oh, okay, sure, I'm in. I'll do whatever it is. He had great wisdom. He spent time in the word of God. He was a man who had great faith and trust in God. And then we saw the grace that was given. We'll see the grace that flowed into his life and flowed out of his life. We'll see that even further today. And great power was upon him and great power can be ours when we are living lives truly full on for Christ. Certainly on this day that we look at here in in Acts chapter 7 and we see Stephen coming to the end of his life, I'm sure that morning he had no idea what would be coming his way. He didn't see that coming. And yet that day, his final day, before he passed, he was welcomed to heaven by Jesus himself. And so, living for Christ, and this is what you may want to jot down. We have three things here that encourage you to be writing them down. Living for Christ means there is courage to share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Have you heard that somewhere before? Hmm. Pillar number four, sharing the good news of Jesus Christ with, bold, with boldness. When we are living for Christ... This is going to be something that flows out of our lives. We are going to want to share the good news with people around us. At the end of chapter 6 so where we left off last week Stephen had been falsely accused and the charges were being read out against him and I mean it was just a a crazy kind of circus what was going on here. Being falsely accused by by some of the synagogue leaders and so now he's before the council. He's before the big guys All right. And so in chapter 7 verse 1 it says and the high priest said are these things so and then i just love the next three words and stephen said and with that stephen launched into the next number of verses the next 50 some verses or so into one of the most amazing potent sermons ever preached now to us if you take and read this and i encourage you to read it you're going to get it's just going to seem like history to us And he does a fantastic job of just working through some of the important Jewish incidences and and historical events that took place uh, in the Old Testament. And so he he walks through this. and, And so as we read through it, we would say, man, this guy knew his stuff. I mean, he just got up and he just rattled this off. And again, he was a man of the word. He was able to give it full on. And so we see Stephen standing up and he gives this message. You know, I just wonder, um, as in life, as every once in a while something happens where all of a sudden it's like, oh boy, I've been outed. I've been found out. Like when all of a sudden you're driving and, and you know you might be going a little fast or maybe you did a rolling stop or you kind of went through a light and it wasn't really too greenish and it wasn't too yellowish. And all of a sudden you see those blue and red lights flashing. And, and what happens in that moment? There's, there's that kind of like, oh no, oh no. And, and, and your heart Starts to pound. Does that happen to some of you? Or, I mean, maybe it's never happened to you just because you're just, you know. But, but you know, j- j- just work with me. You know, it's, it's happened to me a number of times. And what ends up happening to me, my heart starts to race and it's like, oh, no. I've been caught. And, and oftentimes, I don't know if it's blood pressure issues or just what, I start feeling this throbbing in my head. And it's like, oh, no. Oh, no. And, and so the officer comes and, and, uh, and, and you're just like, yes. You know, and, and it's just like, oh, I've been outed. He, he saw me, I was hoping to get away with it. didn't work so well, right and I don't know, have you ever had that happen to you? Any anyone admit yep yeah, okay, a few honest people here you are in church um, by the way, just just reminder of that you know it is a theater, but this is church and this morning anyways or or maybe it's you're in the doctor's office and and the doctor is has been going through some of the results of your tests and starts to talk and and as the doctor is speaking, you start to realize the news isn't very good. And all of a sudden, it's like you get this tunnel vision. And you just hear what he's saying or she is saying. And, and, and your head just starts throbbing. And you're just like, oh boy, oh boy, oh boy. And you just kind of feel something building up within you. Or maybe it's somebody who starts to chew a strip off of you. Maybe you get into a discussion with someone and they're really laying it down on you. And you kind of know, oh. I think they're right, but I'm going to be kind of stubborn on this, and so I'm going to hold my ground, I don't want to give in. And you kind of feel, like, ever been in those situations? I'm sure most of you have been at least in, in one of those, and maybe just even in the last week. Who knows? I mean, this sort of thing can happen. Well, well, Stephen was was giving his message here, as he is laying it down, <coughs> that would have been the reaction of the people that were listening to it. It would have been head pounding, blood pressure, red faces turning red, eyes getting beady and, and kind of getting a little worked up because what he was saying was outing them and it was making them a little bit upset and we'll see that in a few moments. He takes the accusations that they were labeling against him and in a beautiful and incredible way weaves in the salvation story. He shows them how they have been wrong. How they have been missing it. How they have misunderstood Jesus. And how they rejected the true Messiah. And he's saying to them, wake up. Come on people, get with the program. Stephen could speak with boldness and confidence though because he was a man who was full of the Holy Spirit. He was full of wisdom. He was a man who was in the word of God. And so God enabled him to be able to speak and speak with such clarity to declare and share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. Stephen knew his Bible and he stood tall before the council. He brought in the the theology of Christ and he brought it down hard on them on three main pillars that they were holding on to. The three popular pillars, if you want to say, of Judaism. And these pillars were, were a very big source of pride and arrogance for them. This is what the Israelite people, and especially the, the Jewish leaders, the ones who were missing out on Jesus, this is this is the reason why they're missing out on Jesus, is because they were holding on to these these pillars, onto these values. And so we're gonna take a quick look at this as we go through this chapter here. The first pillar that they were holding on to was the land. They were people of the land, the the holy land of Israel. I mean, even today, it's referred to as the holy land. It is seen as very special, especially by the the people of Israel, and especially by the religious leaders. And in, in verses 2 to 36, we just see this happening. According to popular belief, God gave special favor and privileges to those living in the land of Palestine. There's truth to that. There is, even to this day. But simply living in the Holy Land does not mean that you have right standing before God. And Stephen is exposing this with them. This brought them great spiritual pride. We are people who live in Jerusalem. We are people of Israel. And they looked down upon others that didn't live in the area. Those who lived in other countries and in other regions. There was no need for them to, to, to rely on the saving work of Jesus Christ. They were in because they were people of the land. They possessed the land. And Stephen told them that this was wrong. That the land was not the blessing that they thought it was. That Jesus is the blessing and he's the one that they're missing. And so in verse 2, we see this. And, and you see, he, he's not fired up and angry and, 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 and I mean, he's passionate. But, but look at the, the very first words that he says, brothers and fathers. He's enduring himself. He's like, I'm one of you. Come on, we're brothers. Some of you are older. You look like my father. Your father figures to me. Brothers and fathers, hear me. He's pleading with them. The God of glory appeared to our father Abraham, and he was in Mesopotamia before he lived in Haran. And so as he was reading this, it would have been, ouch, ouch, because he's exposing that even Abraham wasn't a man of Israel. He was in another land, and then he goes on in verse 4 and 5. Then he went out from the land of the Chaldeans and lived in Haran. And after his father died, God removed him from there into this land in which you are now living. So it was like, well, eventually ended up there. But listen to this. Yet he gave him no inheritance in it. Not even a foot's length's Length. And so here he's just exposing this, and it's just like, ouch, ouch, and, and then he goes on and he says, look at Abraham, the great man, I mean, the founder of Judaism, if you want to call it, the, the one who, who really began it all, who God had given him his, the incredible promise, and the great man of God that he was never even lived in Israel. Well, at the very end, he lived in it, but he didn't even inherit any of it. Simply living in the land of Israel won't save you. That's what he was exposing, first of all. And then in verses 9 to 16, he goes on, he talks about Jacob and, and his 12 sons and, and, and how God saved them from the famine in Egypt through one of the brothers there, Joseph. And it's just like... oh. Ouch he's mentioned Egypt, you know it's kind of like I don 't know if you were a fan of, of corner gas ever, you know, and whenever they said Woolerton, what did they do? when whenever anyone would say Wollerton, it was kind of that that town, you know, if you lived in Edmonton, it would be like ugh, Calgary, and you'd spit, you know and that's what they would do in, in corner gas. soon as anyone said the name of this rival town, they would spit, well, in the same way it's like ugh, Egypt. You know, and, and so he's, he's reminding them, even, even Joseph. And, and, and then he goes on in, in verses 17 to 36, and, and he talks about Moses and how God cared for him and the people outside the holy land of Israel. How, in fact, the greatest miracles happened outside of Israel, the parting of the Red Sea, the miracles in Egypt as they were being escaped, the death of the firstborn, and all of the miracles that ended up happening in the wilderness. And so Stephen is explaining: it's not about the land. It's not about location. Remember, I mean, even today, it's one of the things that they say, you know what, what's really important when it comes to real estate? Location, location, location. Well, that's what the Israelites, I mean, these leaders were, were, were keying in on, and he said, it's not about location, it's about Jesus. The second pillar that they were holding on to was the law, in verses 37 to 47. For these devout Jews, nothing was more sacred to them than the law, the Ten Commandments, and and, and the book of Leviticus was held in high regard, and, and, and they had the law. Moses had received it, and, and, and because of that, they had it all. We have the law. But Stephen points out even the Jews in Moses' days rejected Moses and the law. And he reminds them that even Moses himself pointed to another prophet, said one day there would be another prophet, of course, pointing to Jesus. And Jesus would be the fulfillment of the law, the one that the prophets were talking about. Again, he's exposing the truth, and they're not liking it very much. And, and Stephen is saying that the law, your religion, can't save you. The law is good, but it won't save you. Only Jesus can save you. So again, it's ouch, ouch, red face blood pounding in the forehead. You know, sometimes when, when I get worked up and, 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 and uh, working hard at something, I'll get a vein in my forehead. And, and uh, I mean, that, I guess things must be really pumping when that's happening, you know? And, and, and same thing here. I'm sure for the, some of them, the vein is starting to form in their forehead because the, the blood is, is pounding pretty good. The third pillar that they are holding on to, see in verses 48 to 50 is, well, God is surely with us because we have the temple. We are people. <laughs> have you seen that temple? It is
0: amazing,
1: gorgeous, and there was so much pride associated with that temple in in Jerusalem. And and so what does Stephen do? He quotes Isaiah 66, 1 and 2 that says, Heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. He's not saying that it's all about the temple. He says, wherever I go, there I am You can't contain me. God cannot be contained in a temple. And yet they felt that God was there. And and the presence was there in a mighty and a powerful way for many centuries. And yet, ultimately, his people are the true temple of God. And again, it's another ouch, ouch, ouch. The Sanhedrin, the rulers, the Pharisees, you think you are in because you, you possess the land, because you have the law, and because you worship at the temple. You think that that's all good, and he's exposing it and saying, no, 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 that's incomplete, that's insufficient. Jesus has completed it. Jesus, the Messiah, he's the one. It's about having him at the center of your life. You see, folks, when we are truly living for Christ, we are going to share the good news of Jesus Christ with boldness. We show it by how we live our lives, but also with the words that we share. And we share about Jesus. We are to engage people today where they are at. We are to find out what are the pillars in their life that they are holding on to. Everyone is holding on to certain pillars. You're holding on to certain pillars in your life. Certain things that you are banking your life on. What are the pillars that those around us who are perishing, those that maybe even in churches are holding on to and could be false pillars or incomplete because it doesn't involve Christ at the center. Everyone has something that we're building our lives on or maybe there's a number of pillars for us. Things like pleasure. If I just just enjoy life. Money. If I have enough money, then then I'll be good. Or success. And, and, and these are the things we're clinging on to. Or comfort, or stuff, or, or that next thing. Oftentimes we can be the next thing kind of people. We just think, well, if I just get this, this next thing, if I get that, then life will be better. Then I'll be able to to really kind of just relax and, and, and to kind of be at peace. And, and that. What are the pillars we hold, Religion can even be one of those. You see, even being... A devout church person, a devout religious person won't save you. Just because you go to church Sunday after Sunday, just because you know the Bible, just because you you are even involved in maybe different spiritual Christian activities, because you read your Bible and you try to pray and and you try to be very disciplined in that way. It doesn't mean it's going to save you. It's Jesus. It's Jesus, 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 and only Jesus. And see, many people even today think, if I just live a good life, they're holding on to the good life pillar. I'm just trying to live better than the next person. God will accept me. That will be good enough. For some people, as I said, it's religion. I go to church. Hey, I prayed a prayer once. I, I said these words, and, and I asked Jesus to come into my heart, and, and I was even baptized. And Is that what you're clinging to? I mean, that's a good thing. That's a starting point, but that's not just the only thing. It's, it's taking it and and seeing that commitment be real. And that we've invited Christ into our life and that He is at the center of our life. And He's molding us and changing us. And and and, and we can hold on to the things that have happened in the past and, and Jesus is saying, I want to do something new in your life today. I want to be at the center of your life today. And life flows out of out from there. We can have an empty and a dead faith. And if that's the case, we need to take stock. We need to examine ourselves. Examine our hearts and our lives. People all around us are clinging onto things that they think will save them. And it is our job to, in love and yet with firmness of God's word to be able to answer them from God's word. That Jesus is the answer. He is the fulfillment. He is the one that can fill your life. The important question is, is is Jesus at the center of your heart today? Do you know him in a personal way? Is he the one that you are relying on, clinging to, trusting in, or are you trusting in other things? It's about that relationship that we have with him today. This is so important, and this is a relationship that as this is happening in our life, we've got a powerful message to share with those around us. Look at verse 51 then. Stephen is kind of wrapping up the message, and and then he just gives it to them. At this point, he is seeing the reaction of their face, and he's saying, you stiff-necked people, uncircumcised in heart and ears. You always resist the Holy Spirit. As your fathers did, so do you. And he's saying, you've rejected the prophets. You've rejected Jesus. You've betrayed him. You murdered him. And you need to understand that, that, that even in this, Stephen wasn't, Yelling in anger, he was impassioned He was impassioned about this. He's like, come on, you guys, wake up. Smell the coffee. Hello, come on, get with it. He's pleading with them, turn to Jesus, don't miss it. But he could tell by the reactions of their faces it wasn't going over very well. Second of all, I mean, uh, second here today is living for Jesus means there is strength to endure rejection, persecution, and perhaps even death. Newsflash for you here today, not everyone is going to respond to Jesus, well, at least in a positive way. They will respond, but oftentimes it can be in a negative way. Sometimes it will be a response of indifference, not now, which is a no response, a negative response. We at times will face rejection. In fact, oftentimes we do, and we will. Jesus Christ faced rejection. We will be laughed at, ridiculed for Christ. 2 Timothy 3.12, might want to jot that down. 2 Timothy 3.12 says, Indeed, all who desire to live a godly life in Christ will be persecuted. You want to live a life with Christ at the center, you will face persecution. You will be marginalized. And at times, singled out overlooked for certain jobs or certain positions or, or whatever it might be because of your faith in Jesus Christ. It makes people uncomfortable or, or, or it's just the opposition that we face as being a child of Jesus Christ. Even recently in the last few weeks with that shooting in Oregon that, that took place, many different stories and rumors that came out, but the one thing that was crystal clear, he was singling out Christians. For some reason, to these people who are deranged, it is Christians, followers of Christ. That are a problem. Notice he, he didn't the shooter, if you're familiar with the story, he, he asked before he, in the classroom, he asked for people who were Christians, who called themselves Christians, and, and people raised their hand. Notice he, he didn't shout, whoever votes Democrats here, whoever is votes for the Democrats, you know, identify yourself. No, that wasn't a threat. Whoever is a Republican, identify, whoever is a Buddhist or a a, a Mormon. No, it's Christians. Christians are under attack. You want to live a godly life? Be ready for rejection. Be ready for persecution to come. Matthew 10, Jesus told his followers, you will be hated for my name's sake. We're in a a spiritual battle. Folks, salvation is free. It costs us nothing. But following Jesus will eventually cost you something. And it may cost you a lot. And maybe even at some point, everything. Sooner or later, your faith will will mean you will need to draw a line in the sand. Sooner or later, at times, in life, in business, in relationships, at work, with friends, with family members, you may have to draw, you will have to draw certain lines in in the sand, standing for truth. I choose to follow God. I choose to obey the word of God rather than man. This may happen, as I said, with work or family or in school. Tough conversations that may need to to happen. Be prepared for those tough conversations to not go well. It may cost. But remember, these tough conversations are to be done in love, in humility, and biblical according to God's Word. At some time in our lives... And probably as time continues on, more often, we are going to need to take a stand. Obedience to Jesus Christ will cost. I'm not just saying with what's going on in our world and in countries that are experiencing terrorism, but in our everyday life. At some time, and oftentimes, as the future continues to unravel, we will have to decide how valuable is Jesus to me. How valuable is his word? Is he my everything or is he just an add-on, cling-on to my life? For Stephen, he was all in. You want power and strength at the end of your life? You want power and strength to face whatever life may throw at you? It's about living for Jesus today. It's making those decisions today. It might mean cutting ties with a business partner because of questionable activities that you are not comfortable with to end a relationship that you really don't want to. Maybe it's a dating relationship and that person doesn't know the Lord and and you need to follow the word of God. It's going to cost. To forgive someone when you don't want to. They've hurt you and what they did was wrong and what they did was hard and you want to make them pay and yet God's word says we are to forgive. It's going to cost. It's going to cost our pride. It may cost us financially. To take a stand for Christ in baptism. To publicly declare our faith in Jesus Christ. It's one of the steps, early, first steps of obedience as a follower of Christ. To take a stand for Christ in the workplace. And that stand may even at times, get this, watch this, listen to this folks, it may be with other Christians and other Christian leaders. Taking a stand for issues of biblical uh, biblical inerrancy the truth of Scripture. We're living in a day where God's word is being watered down. And many believers in Christ are, are allowing that diluting of God's word to affect their lives. And there's times we need to speak the truth to others. We need to warn them at the risk of that relationship even falling apart. Again, humility, love, great prayer, great, great um, responsibility in that. But, but it may cost And in that moment, we need to ask ourselves when we are choosing to follow Christ, did I come to Jesus to get something from him only? Or did I come to Jesus to offer myself to him? You see, folks, when we do that, when we are offering ourselves to Jesus, that's when we really start living. That is when we are all in. That is that being full, being filled up with the commitment to follow Jesus Christ, it is saying yes to him no matter what, being a person of obedience. Look at it in verse 54, though, how well it went for Stephen. Now, when they heard these things, they were enraged, and they ground their teeth at him. Can you imagine, I mean, grinding of teeth? Can you grind your teeth? Maybe some of you do it at night knows? And and someone has told you, man, you, you grind your teeth at, or your dentist tells you, I think you grind your teeth at night, you know, and but, but they're so angry that you know you can't talk and you're just, you just can't and you can't I don't know if that I mean they were grinding their teeth. What what is the description we have about hell? Where there will be weeping and gnashing, grinding of teeth. They were so angry. That they're grinding their teeth. <laughs> I read this statement this week. I, I think it's maybe kind of funny, and yet it's also kind of scary. It says, a preacher knows he's in trouble when the congregation begins to frown. Please don't frown at me. You know, uh, but it's worse. But he's in worse trouble when they grind their teeth. <laughs> I guess so. They, this is beyond Angry. In verse 57 it says, But they cried out with a loud voice and, and, and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. They cast him out of the city and stoned him. So just think about it. He's speaking and they don't want to hear it anymore. And so you know, they're grinding their teeth and they're plugging their ears. And they're like, I can't hear you. I can't hear you. I don't want to hear you. And they're just coming for him. they take him out of the city and they're going to stone him. Verse 57 um, or verse 58, it goes on and says, And the witnesses laid down their garments at the feet of a young man named Saul. Interesting little segue there into chapter 9. We'll get to that down the road. Frederick Buchner describes it in this way. He's a, a biblical author. He, he wrote this. He said, Stoning somebody to death, even somebody as young and healthy as Stephen, would not be easy. You do not get the job done with the first few rocks, and, and even after you get the man down, it's a long, hot business. To prepare themselves for the workout, they stripped to the waist and, and would get someone to keep an eye on their things till they were through. The young man that they, uh, that they got was a fire-breathing young arch-conservative Jew named Saul, who was there because he thoroughly approved of what was going on. Living for Jesus means that there is strength to endure rejection, persecution, even death. For us here today in North America, we're relatively safe, let's face it. I mean, we're pretty far removed from the persecution that is happening, yet fully aware that today there will be those who knows by the handful, by the dozens, by the hundreds, we don't know exactly who will give their life for Jesus Christ For They won't renounce their faith in Christ. In fact, two-thirds of the world's Christians, as I mentioned last week, are living in dangerous countries, places not friendly to the gospel, places where they could easily endure some persecution. Here's something I read this past week. Reports from northern Iraq. ISIS have taken over towns and villages. ISIS is systematically going house to house to all the Christians and asking the children to denounce Jesus. He said so far, not one child has. And so far, all have consequently been killed, but not the parents. The UN is withdrawn and the missionaries are on their own. They are determined to stick it out for the sake of their families, even if it means their own deaths. They are afraid. They have no idea how to even begin ministering to these families who have seen their children martyred. Yet he says he knows God has called them for some reason to be his voice and hands at this place at this time. Even so, they are begging for your prayers for courage to live out their vocation in such dire circumstances. And like the children, accept martyrdom if they are called to do so. These brave parents instilled such a fervent faith in their children that they chose martyrdom. Please surround them in their loss with your prayers for hope and perseverance. And a little later, according to that report, not one child had renounced Jesus Christ. How we must stand in prayer For those who are struggling and suffering and those who are in these areas living for jesus may mean we will suffer and 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 there could be persecution and there is persecution of some sort but there also is the promise that living for jesus means there will be a glorious future look at in verse 55 but he Stephen, full of the Holy Spirit, gazed up into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus standing at the right hand of God. And he said, Behold, I see the heavens open and the Son of Man standing at the right hand of God. The presence of Jesus Christ was so real and so powerful for, for Stephen in this moment. His eyes were open to see the glory of God. Very few people that you read about throughout Scripture were, have been given a glimpse of God and his glory in this way. And here is Jesus standing at the right hand. Now, this is pretty cool. Buckle up your seat belts. Get ready for this, because this is just amazing. So here we have God on the throne. We have Jesus standing here, welcoming Stephen. He is, Stephen gets this picture, this vision of this. And scripture teaches us that Jesus is seated at the right hand of God. But on this occasion, Jesus Christ is standing Christ came to his feet for the first Christian martyr. That is amazing. That is significant. F.F. F. Bruce, a writer, put it this way. He said, Stephen has been confessing Christ before man, and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. What faith. And you see, that is, is what this is about. It's so much bigger than here on earth. I'll read that one more time. Stephen has been confessing Christ before men, and now he sees Christ confessing his servant before God. We live so much for the applause of people. I read somebody put a quote on on social media this week, and they heard it from some church growth conference they were at just recently, and, and they said something, don't live for your resumes, live for your eulogies. And I'm like, no. No, that's not it. We don't live for eulogies because it doesn't matter what people have to say about us. It's what will Christ confess about us. This is my son. This is my daughter. Welcome to eternity. That is what is the most important. It's about what he will say. Come in, my son. Come in, my daughter. It's not about our eulogies. It's not about our... uh, about our resumes, it's not about the accomplishments, it's not about the list of converts. Stephen, we, as far as we know, there was no converts that, that he had had up until this point. What happened later on? Oh, we're going to get to that. Boom! Goes the gospel. Why? Because he was a man who lived truly for Jesus Christ. In that day, he didn't worry about tomorrow. He lived for Christ today. Are we doing the same? like to read just a few more things not to alarm you but to awaken you folks this is from Syria going on in the last week or so several at several steps on their path to death by beheading and crucifixion last month 11 indigenous christian workers near apello syria had the option to leave the area and live or stay The 12-year-old son of one of the ministry team leaders also could have spared his life by denying Christ. But he wouldn't, 12 years old. The indigenous missionaries were not required to stay at their ministry base in a village. Rather, the ministry director who trained them had entreated them, he begged them to leave. As the Islamic State ISIS, other rebel groups and Syrian government forces turned to Apollo into a war zone of carnage and destruction. ISIS took over the several outlying villages. The Syrian ministry workers in those villages chose to stay in order to provide aid in the name of Christ to survivors. I asked them to leave, the ministry leader said, but I gave them the freedom to choose, and the ministry director, his voice, um, recalled the horrific, their horrific deaths. As their leader, I should have insisted that they leave. They stayed because they believed they were called to share Jesus with those caught in the crossfire, he said. Every time we talk to them, the director said, they're always saying, we want to stay here. This is what God has told us to do. This is what we want to do. They just want to stay there and share the gospel. 41-year-old team leader, his son, and two ministry members in their 20s were questioned at one village site with, where ISIS militants had summoned the crowd. A team leader presided over nine house churches he had helped to establish his son was two months away from his 13th birthday. Um, I won't read what happened to him, but they died. They were also on, they were left then on crosses for two days. No one was allowed to remove them. As the two women and the six men, this is another ordeal, as the two women and six men knelt before they were executed, they were all praying. Now, Now listen to this. This is this is the beauty in all of this. Villagers said some of them were praying in the name of Jesus. Others said some of them were saying the Lord's Prayer, and others of them with lifted up their heads to commend their spirits to Jesus. The ministry director said one of the women looked up and seemed to be smiling as she said, Jesus. In that moment for Stephen, and in that moment for the believer of Christ, When our lives come to an end, Jesus is there waiting. Jesus is there to welcome. That is the hope of the gospel. We know that eventually one day all of us will pass from this earth and we have the hope of Jesus Christ no matter what will come. There will be a glorious future for the believer in Christ, for those who are living for him, have given their lives over to him. Immediately, 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 Stephen was there in heaven. What a welcome he received. Psalm 116 tells us, Precious in the sight of the Lord is the death of his saints. 1 Corinthians 15 reminds us that death, the sting of death, has been removed. Through who? Who's removed the sting of death? Jesus. It's been swallowed up in victory. In the midst of the rocks being thrown at him, what is he doing? He is speaking words, oh, Father, forgive them. Forgive them for what they are doing. The amazing grace had been flowing into his life, and even in his death, the amazing grace is flowing out to others. He's praying for them. And then he fell asleep, meaning he died and he went to heaven. In Christ, there is power to live Daily, and there will be the power and strength to die well. To die well no matter when and how that happens. We don't know what the future holds. We don't know what the end of this day would hold, will hold for any one of us. By the end of the day and the circumstances and the things that could t- take place, we could easily say, didn't see that coming, Right? My heart, maybe it's because of my farming background or something, but my heart has been really touched and stirred. And I've watched and read a number of articles about the family from West Central Alberta who lost their three daughters in a farming accident. And, and growing up on the farm, spending time on the farm, you can see how quick and easily some of these accidents can take place. Three out of their four children died. There that day. And right from the earliest posts, that as I searched and was finding out news about this situation, you could see that in this family and even their extended family, there was a commitment to daily live every day for Jesus. Jesus wasn't just an add on, cling on, something that, oh, we do on Sundays and then we live the rest of our lives however we do. They were ready because they lived each day for Jesus Christ as a family. The family, a few days before the funeral, the funeral was just this past Friday, um, stood before reporters and gave an incredible, incredible interview. And I'd love to play the last two minutes for you at this time.
0: As far as where the girls are now, we're confident they're with Jesus. Uh, Extremely confident of that. As you've noticed and covered, you guys have done that well. God's a very big part of our lives. We've raised our kids and we'll continue to raise Caleb in learning from the Bible and what it says about living life here and how to get to heaven when we die. Uh, We're not concerned about where they are. We're looking forward to when we'll see them again. Mm -hmm. So as far as missing them and and, uh, not being able to ever see our kids again, that part's okay because we're gonna see them again. Mm -hmm.
1: We'll miss them very, very much. Very much, much.
0: yeah. Um, But it's here and now now. we're faced with, right? It's here and now, and this is where we're at with our family uh, today, a week later. How we're gonna get through this. Uh, in our minds, there's only one option for us to get through this, and uh, that's with Jesus. And we wanna, we wanna just make that known. Jesus in our lives is gonna carry us through this. He's been with us through everything in our life. He's been faithful to us. Uh, right now, through par- prayers and support of everyone, we're experiencing God firsthand. We're experiencing God and His grace in a very real way in all of this, through all the people that are involved in helping us out and praying Mm -hmm. for us. That's just Mm -hmm. God working, okay? Um, We, as a couple, as a family, can't get through this. We're going to have difficulty getting through this on our own. Um, But the Lord's going to be with us. The Lord's going to carry us through. Uh, He's going to lift us up, and we, we know that, you guys. What else or who else could get someone through something like this? He's given us strength. His grace is holding us and carrying us. We're looking to him now more than ever. We don't believe that God did this. We don't believe that God did this, but we're believing that he's taken this and he's making something incredible come out of it. So once again, that's what we have for you guys. Thanks for how you've handled our story.
1: Thank you. For Jesus means there's courage to share the good news of Jesus with boldness. And isn't that what his brother and sister are doing? Even in life's most horrific and most difficult moments, people would say, oh, they're in shock. (laughs) That's Jesus working in and through them to experience that peace and that presence. Their strength to endure rejection, persecution, even death. Through many dangers, toils, and snares, we've known less days to sing God's praise, and that's what they're doing. And we know that because of Jesus, living for Christ means there will be a glorious future, a glorious future for every one of his children. And as he said, we will see our children again Folks, in light of today's word, the question and the challenge isn't so much, would I be willing to die for Christ? The most important thing is, are you living for Christ today? That's the primary call. Have you trusted Christ as your personal Lord and Savior? Have you invited Christ to come into your life, repenting of your sins, desiring to turn away from the sin and to turn a life, your life over to Jesus Christ? Can't be trusting in just living a good life and, and doing some religious activities, but having Jesus at the center. As a follower of Christ, I wonder, maybe you're drifting. Christ isn't at the center. A lot of other things you're holding on to. That's your identity, it's your work, it's your money, it's your 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 accomplishments that you are holding on to and is front and center in your life. Is Christ at the center? Life truly begins to be lived when Christ is living at the center. Are you filled with fear? Fear about health, fear about the future, fear about family, fear about wondering how in the world can I raise a family? How can my grandchildren make it in a world like this? It's putting Jesus at the center of your life today and know he will give you the daily strength and courage and perseverance to press on today. And tomorrow, there will be new fuel in his word by his spirit, as we worship Jesus, as we behold his glory in our lives. I encourage you to make a declaration today for Christ. We're going to be singing, Manasseh To Come. And, and this is a song that uh, we've been singing over the last number of months, and it is, kind of walks you through life. And are we declaring Christ? I believe, I believe. There's a statement in there, do we believe that God's promises are true? Make that a declaration of your heart today. If you have never invited Christ into your life, would love to talk to you afterwards. Pull someone aside who you know is a believer in Christ and they can help you further and that would love to talk to you further about that today. If you'd like prayer, would love to talk to you and pray with you after the service.